0: pastors here, and um, I, I feel like, so we're doing what we call wild cards, which is uh, sometimes we teach through series where we have a common theme or a common book, and then there are times where we, we do wild cards where it's just whatever God's been speaking to uh, whichever pastor is getting up to speak. And so um, I had a couple ideas for today, but uh, I, I shot some ideas to the pastors, and I taught a teaching last week at the Sunday night service that was really rang true, and to, to be totally honest, it it went way better than I thought it was going to, and so um, when I got up, I was pretty sure it was just going to be okay, and I, I, I hadn't even really, like, sometimes it just, the word hasn't settled in you until you get up to give it, and then it, like, coalesces while you're talking, which is really terrifying and also exciting. Um, so I feel like that's the, that's the word I'm supposed to give this morning, so uh, if you were here on Sunday night, God must really be speaking to you about this. <laughs> You need to learn it. So let's pray. God, we ask that you would um, just put your anointing and your power and your grace upon this word that we, that we hear today, God. Lord, that it's, it's, it's about you and your word. God, it's not about me. So let your spirit come. I pray you would take this passage and open it up to us, God. Let it come alive and capture our hearts, Jesus, with your power, with your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe that God wants to use this word to launch some of you, um, that there's going to be like a releasing where some of you have felt held back in a ministry or a call or something else going on in your life where you've felt a resistance and God's going to open up and he's going to launch you forward. There's going to be a release that's going to happen. So I want to just set your faith a little bit that that's um, potentially what God's going to do in your heart today. Um, I played soccer growing up. My whole life, I still, you know, can play, but I don't have any teams to play on right now. Um, but I, I played soccer growing up. It was, you know, I played all the sports, but it was probably my favorite, especially as I hit, like, my middle school and high school years. And, you know, what set me apart as a player was not uh, my skill, unfortunately, um, <laughs> And that's why I couldn't play past high school. <laughs> so I was decent skill-wise, and um, I, was a, I, I understood the game really well. I was, I was one of those kids that you would say was kind of like a coach on the field, so um, I went on to coach a whole lot after I graduated, actually, and I really enjoy coaching, because um, those who can't play, coach, right? And so that's what I did. And uh, so it wasn't skill, but um, my freshman year, um, I made the varsity team, and I started every game, and then pretty much started all through my high school career, even though I wasn't the most skilled kid on the team. And we had kids on the team who were like on the elite soccer teams of Delaware, um, way better than me. And actually, I started at center half, which is like... Um, depending who you talk to and you're talking to me, is the most important position on the field. And so um, me and the best kid on the team, he was ranked the second best player in in the whole state of Delaware our senior year. He and I played this co-center half position. So how did I earn a spot next to this kid? He clearly deserved it. What did I do? I didn't bribe the coach. (laughs) I worked really, really hard. That's what set me apart. When I got on the soccer field, and and this is still true to to a certain extent, although I've learned to tone it down as an adult, but I was 110%. I held nothing back. So I would get out of a 90-minute soccer game completely wiped out in pain. Um, For several seasons, I played through ankle injuries where one season I had air casts on both my ankles, but I wasn't going to miss a game. So you just like wrap it up and go... that's what set me apart. You know, I, I was the kid who was sliding into situations where you would probably get hurt and jumping and trying. I remember um, we, we played in the semifinals, and the guy I had to mark was six foot four, and he was like a man already. Have you ever seen those guys in high school who were already men? And I was still on my way. Um, I, I don't know when I'm going to get there. But... Uh, I remember guarding this guy, and that's just how my game was. You know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go all out against this kid, and he knocked me over. I remember one time I went up for a headball with him on the sideline, and he just knocked me. And it was one of those that has a track around the soccer field, and I went skidding onto the track. But you just get back up and keep going. You just that's the that's the way that I played soccer. Um, it's the way I played basketball too, and it didn't translate as well, so I wasn't as good at basketball. But. Uh, there, there wasn't a whole lot of inhibition, all right? And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about, we're going to, we're going to study um, almost a whole chapter of 1 John. So if you have your Bible, you want to open to 1 John chapter 3, and the verses will be behind me as well. But sometimes it's nice to have it in front of you. You can open up in your phone. Um, we're going to read pretty much verse by verse, and we're going to see a message that John is giving. The overall message of this book, in my opinion, starts in First John, the first few verses. And he says this incredible verse. He says, what we have seen and heard um, from God, okay, the experience being with Jesus, all that we've seen and heard, this is what we proclaim to you. And so John was saying, you know, as my days draw to an end, I want to make sure I get across to you all that I experienced with Jesus. I saw him. I heard him. I touched him. I felt his presence. I felt the Holy Spirit. I was there when he raised Lazarus from the dead. I was there when he raised from the dead. I was there when he healed the lepers. You know, like all these memories that John has and now all the extra ones of the early church. And he's saying, all that I've seen and heard I want to give to you. This is like his impartation as a father of the early church. So in that framework, I want you to hear these verses. This isn't John just writing whatever comes to him, right? This is a message, very intentional to the young church. He says in verse 3, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. And, you know, a lot of times when you, when you teach, you realize that you could give whole teachings on one verse. And we're going to cover like 20, all right? But we could teach on this verse alone, could we not? God's great love has been lavished on you. It hasn't been given sparingly. He hasn't just given enough or even a little. He's given too much to you. He's lavished it on you. He's overflowing. He's loving you to a fault. (laughs) And it is experienced in this next sentence that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Think about this love. This is the love that changes the world. It's the love that allowed Abraham and Sarah to conceive and let that promise come true at a time when they were way too old for that. It's a love that appointed a young shepherd who was a nobody that nobody had ever heard of and called him up to change the destiny of a nation and to start the line of of the king of all the earth, right? This is the love that chose a weak guy hiding from the enemy named Gideon, to rise up and rout the enemy. It's a love that sent his son to die for our sins, to come and confront the enemy. It's a love that in 1 John says, I sent my son to destroy the works of the enemy in your life. This is the love that's been lavished on you. It's a life-changing love. It's a world-changing love. It's not love that makes you feel comfortable. It's not love that makes you feel secure and safe and good. This is a challenging love. This is a moving, get off your butt, get out and do something with your life kind of love. Have you ever been loved by somebody like that? All right. My father loves like that. If you've met my dad. My dad and I, we went on vacation when I graduated uh, high school. He took me on a trip to Europe as a, uh, a present. And our, we were there for two weeks and we have the same attitude because he's raised me. All right, We were going to... Totally suck the life out of this trip. No second would be wasted because that's how I was raised. You, we weren't born to just relax. We were born to go. We didn't. Even, we. I think we only slept two nights in a hotel. We slept on trains so that we could wake up in a different city to explore. Literally, we were just go. Do you know that? Um, somebody was telling me this that uh, a lot of hikers in the desert who get lost when they find them dead they find them with a little bit of water left in their bottle still because they were holding on to that just in case. And I was talking to a good friend of mine and he was saying, you know, he had, he had given a, a speech, not, a, not in church, but he had given a speech to some people and he was talking about, I don't want to die with a little bit of water left in my bottle, right? I want to I use it all. So let's not, let's not live our life holding anything back. And this is the love that is loved us, he has loved us with. As I started to read these verses, I was reminded of something I learned in college. Um, Rob Palkovitz isn't here right now, but he's a professor at the University of Delaware, and he teaches human development and family processes and, and how we spiritually develop, but also all other kinds of development. In our emotional development, one major theory that's talked about is attachment theory. And the basic idea is this. That if you are secure in your attachment to your parents, if you have a secure, strong love base, then what you're able to do is venture out from that. And you'll watch little kids in these experiments, they'll, like they'll have them in a room and they'll start to go out and they'll come back and they'll check in with the base and then they'll go a little further and then eventually it's just a glance and then they're just out, right? And so... But people who grow up with an insecure attachment literally grow up with uh, developmental disorders and inability to know who they're called to be and inability to achieve or accomplish in their life. Like as adults, this is a long-lasting effect. This is the point here. See what great love that the Father has loved us with, that he's called us children of God. See, here's where it comes in is our identity is we are sons and daughters of God. And that's our root, our base, our launching pad. And when we have that, we can go forward into life with a wholly different attitude, a wholly different confidence. You're not what your job is. You know, what's your job? You're a teacher? That's not who you are. It's what you do. You're a nurse. You know, you're a stay-at-home mom. You're a pastor. It's not who you are. It's what you do. You're a father. You're a son. You're a husband. You're a wife. That's not who you are. And when you define yourself by the roles that you have in this life, Right, You you divorce yourself from those power source of life, which is God's love. You are a son of God, being a father. You are a son of God, being a teacher. You are a daughter of God, being a mother. It's your identity inside those roles that empowers you to be what God's called you to be in those roles. So it's a launching pad. It's an identity. His base is a secure base, and if we really have that, then we're able to, do great exploits for God. I and mean, the people like if you look at this what we're going to see here, John's attitude about living with holding nothing back started with I am a child of God. I'm loved by God. It's like It's like when Jesus washed the um, disciples' feet and he said, "I know who I am and I know where I'm going." And then he washed their feet. Isn't that interesting? He said, look, I know who I am. I'm a child of God. I know where I'm going. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to raise the gown. I'm going to be the king of all kings. Because I know who I am in God, I can serve you. I can do this radical thing that no one else would have ever thought I would do. I can step way outside of my comfort zone, way outside of culture's comfort zone, because I know who I am in you. So let's read a little bit further. Dear friends, now we are children of God. So it's like, you know, because we're children of God, but what we will not, sorry, I always read this wrong. What we will be has not yet been made known. It's like its like potential, okay? Now listen, we're children of God. But what we're going to be has not yet been made known. It's like a boulder sitting on top of a mountain and God's just getting ready to push it. That's you. That's me. We're just this um, potential energy, right? Isn't that a scientific term? Potential energy. It's a to be released into kinetic energy. It's like about, it's about to happen. We live on on the edge of God calling us into who we're going to be. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him and we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in them purify themselves just as he is pure. See, 1 Corinthians 13 says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Now we know in part, but then we shall know fully even as we are known. So there's this sense that We're discovering in Christ who we're called to be right now. And I don't think it's just like when we die and see Jesus, we'll fully know. I mean, that's part of it. But I think as Jesus reveals himself to us, right, as we behold him, we're changed from glory to glory. We become more and more like him. There's a sense of an unveiling of who you're called to be and who I'm called to be. I gave a teaching at a youth conference recently, um, recently, it's like three years ago, and um, I gave this whole teaching about God's got a call for your lives. And then I afterwards, I was talking to a, the, uh, a leader there. And one of the leaders was like, you know, it's going well, blah, blah, blah. I really disagreed with what you said, though, in your teaching. Like, I don't know why you want to put it out there to these kids that God has a call in their lives. And, and he kind of reasoned with me. And I was like, you know, I realized. Because I'm open to being corrected. So I thought it through. Like, did I... Did I, like, sell these kids something that's not going to come true? Like, you know, because you can do that with teenagers. You can just pump them up, and then you don't give them any substance. And I was like, did I do that? And I realized, like, at 39, I'm still as convinced as I was at 16 that God's got a plan for my life. I've seen it happening, and I know there's more to come, and I'm hungry for it. I believe that every person's born with a call for their lives. You know, it's not all the same, because that's the diversity that's beautiful in the kingdom of God. But we have... God has plans for us. And I, and I think that as you're walking in one plan, he's preparing the next plan. And often the plans build upon each other. Sometimes you're in one season of your life, and you're like, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't even know what the point is. But then in five years, you're like, oh, if I hadn't been there, then I couldn't be here. And this is where I was going. But then I'm going to go there. <laughs> right? But God's, so this is what he's saying. He's like, guys, because we're loved as children of God, if we really know that, we can begin to become who we're called to be. Now, a lot of times we live life holding stuff back. Holding stuff back from God. Holding ourselves back. Because of what? I mean, you can just huge, create a huge list. Because of fear, because of finances, because of fear, <laughs> because of insecurity, because of circumstances. We just let a lot of things dictate what's gonna happen. You know, I, I think if I... Um, if I had led like my my first and second small group leading experience, if I had let those determine my life as a minister, I wouldn't be here. I, I led my first small group. I led had two people in it, and they disagreed with me the whole time. <laughs> and they were older than me. It was intimidating, and I don't think I did a very good job. Right? I mean, I I have a uh, when we taught when we when Jonathan and I and the other a bunch of people from this church were teenagers. We used to travel with a group called East Coast of Flame that we had started. I remember going back, like, uh, you know, a couple of years after we were done and listening to our teachings. And we taught for, like, an hour and a half. And i listened to myself teach. And I would teach for an hour and a half, but I really only had, like, 15 minutes of material. And I would just repeat it more and more passionately. Like, you know, I can remember just, like, they're not getting it yet. I gotta say it louder, you know, like, that was my attitude, and then, you know, random tangents that I would go on that w- you would struggle to know why I was even saying them, right? If I had really given up at that point and been like, you know, if someone would have come and listened to me and said, you're bad at this, you know, but you have to go through some of that. You know, what I learned in that time was I learned to listen to the Holy Spirit for, for a word from God. You know, I still, I don't, I used to prepare about seven minutes before I taught, behind the drum set. I would just cry out to God and write down some notes. But now I do that a little bit earlier in the week, but it's the same process. I'm still dependent on the Holy Spirit. I get really stressed out inside the closer I get to Sunday if God hasn't spoken to me, because I don't want to just make something up, right? It's part of what God put into me. So we have to fight through some resistance sometimes to become who we're called to be. We have to take risks and step out. But if we know who we are and we know where we're going, then we have that secure base to step from, okay? So holding nothing back. God, could you say, God, I give you my life. I give you my call. I'm gonna hold nothing back. God, would you take this life and make it everything that you think it could be? Not what I think it could be. Not what other people think it should be. I'm just open up your, your arms to the Lord. Okay. Then he, he kind of makes a strange transition and he goes into a really long three, two paragraphs about sin. And if you read 1 John, he talks about sin all the time. I decided to teach through 1 John at the Sunday night service. And I, I had read the book and like made up some topics, but as I've taught it, I am constantly talking about sin. And I had no idea I was going to put myself in that position. It's uncomfortable every week to be like, now guys, you got to stop sinning. I mean, but it's everywhere. And I think the reason is John has become um, very aware of the power of sin to take us off path. Okay, so listen, everyone who sins breaks the law. He gets really, really serious about this. In fact, sin is lawlessness. And you know that God appeared, Jesus appeared, so he might take away our sins. In him, there's no sin and no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, he's still like rooting it back in our identity, okay? Don't let anyone lead you astray. It's very interesting, isn't it? In the next chapter, he's going to talk about the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And there are messages from the enemy and from culture and from people that, are, that you need to discern whether, the, whether it's God or not. There's things trying to push you off course. There's a wind, like if you're a sailboat, there's a wind that's trying to tack you off course and you have to stay true to the heading God's given you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. And the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. He breaks it down. It's like, you're either for me or you're against me. You're either following God or you're not. It's the whole hot or cold, if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work If you're not destroying the devil's work, then you're not in the flow of the kingdom. If you're embracing part of the kingdom, the devil's work in your life, if you're allowing the devil to have a foothold in your life. See, no one who's born of God, child of God, again, will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them and they can't go on sinning. Now, he's not saying, listen, if you sin, you're not a real Christian. He's saying that as you allow the Holy Spirit to change you, you won't keep on sinning. That doesn't mean it's going to happen like that. But if you honestly allow the Holy Spirit into your life and then follow all that is required, some sin is is as easy as some prayer. Some sin requires confession. Some sin requires inner healing, deliverance, counseling. I mean, but this is what we're talking about. This next point is holding nothing back from the refiner's fire in our lives. See, sometimes we take, like I picture my life as a house sometimes, probably because Jesus uses that analogy a couple times. And I've picture, like, there's rooms where I'm, like, kind of close it, and I'm like, God, this one's okay. You don't need to look in here, you know? Trust me. This is something that you—we don't need to—let's focus on this stuff over here, you know? And those are always the doors that God tries to open. Have you noticed that? He's like, oh, you're hiding that. Let's go see, you know? Like, God, my finances. Let's, you know, or God, you know, you name it. Whatever parts of your heart and your life that we try to hold back— But I think what he's asking us for is he's asking us to live life unafraid of God and his conviction in our lives. Because I think what he's saying is, look, your call and the church as a whole, their call, our call, is so important for the world that I can't have you knocked off course by the enemy. So you need to let me in. You need to let me in. You need to let me refine you. And, and even if it's small, like what I think is when we're young, often there's like these big sins that like are huge barriers that are blocking out a lot of what God wants for us. And then as you grow in the Lord, those get knocked out. But then he finds deeper stuff, stuff that's easier to hide from other people, but just as powerful, just as real. And we just let him come in. It's like David prayer, prayed, um, God, show me the sins that I'm not even aware of. You know, let your light shine in my life. I often picture conviction as like a, a spotlight, and it's like instead of hiding from it, just let the let the spotlight come. God, show me what is in my life, and a lot of times it'll come through other people. Yeah, it's great. Wives, yes. Um, when I was growing up, I loved baloney. Do I have any any big baloney fans in here? Yes. So baloney, fried baloney, yeah. Fried bologna with some French toast and some scrambled eggs. That was my college uh, lunch treat that I, you can tell why I gained weight in college. But, um, so I, I, I love bologna. Oscar Mayer bologna, the thick kind. The con- I can still picture the package. I can still hear the sound when you, ha- you flip it upside down and you peel the yellow back off. And, it, and then you can smell it. Oh. I used to eat them for lunch. I used to eat them, I would not just put them on sandwiches, I would eat them as a snack by themselves. I would come home late at night, I would eat two or three slices, just, you'd roll them up, I used to wrap them in cheese, I used to eat pickles with them, I mean, I ate them all the time, my parents had to buy like two or three a week to satisfy my addiction. Um, My dad actually encouraged it, he introduced me to other kinds of bologna, have you ever had olive loaf? bologna with olives in. I mean, it just gets better and better. I was like, are you kidding me? You took so long to show me this. So, huh? I don't know that I've ever had that. Lebanon bologna. Oh, oh. Let's all go right now. Let's go get some. Let's, we'll come back. Part of my call. We'll wait till you hear the rest of the story, though. Maybe not. So, I was, um, so I, I, I gained I gained some weight in college. I got I got married in college. I went to college in college. Um, you stay up late eating in college. Uh, that's how you stay awake when you're studying is you eat. I don't know if that was the strategy anyone else used, but um, I went from being a, a guy also who ran like five six miles a day playing soccer to like nothing. And so I remember Jonathan lovingly telling me at one point, yeah. I don't remember the actual words, Jonathan. Isn't the most, like, I mean, I don't think this is where you're feeling. He's not the most tactful person sometimes. So he probably just came out and said, you don't look so good. Like, have you considered doing something with your life since you look horrible? Um, And so I received it um, without defensiveness, of course, like I always do. And uh, (laughs) so for some reason in my mind, Nick Palco was like the health guru, of the time. And we were like 21, 22. So, and Nick has still remained the same physique from since he was 16 years old. I don't understand it. But so I went to Nick and I was like, Nick, I think I should lose some weight. Do you have any advice for me? And he was like, well, let's talk about your diet. Like, what do you eat a lot of? Bologna. I told him some other things. He was like, I bet you if you cut out bologna, cold turkey, get it? You would, get, you would lose weight. So I have not eaten bologna. Except for one time like five years ago when I just wanted to taste it again. I have not eaten bologna in 27 years. No, 17 years. Is that crazy? Now I'm going to go eat it today. The, le- <laughs> the Lebanon bologna. I'm going to have to try that. But I cut it out. And that's the way that sin has to be in our life. See, if if I treated the bologna like we treat sin, I would have been like, sure, I won't eat anymore. And that would have had a secret stash somewhere. I'm like, you know, when no one was looking, you know, or I would be justifying it. I've had a hard day. I'm stressed out. I'm tired. I need some bologna, right? That's what we do with sin. I'll resist it when it's easy, but then when I get stressed out, tired, or lonely, I'm going to go sin. But what we have to do with sin is we have to go all out, hold nothing back, destroy it. Jesus didn't come in and like, ah, I'm not going to really die for your sins. You know, I'm just, I'll, I'll go through some hardships and we'll call it good. You know, he, it's, it's all out warfare if you want to tackle and conquer the sin in our lives. See, he, he then goes into a paragraph where he talks about Cain and Abel. And, and this is crazy to me because he's like, all right, let's, let's recap. God loves you. And because he loves you, we don't even know the fullness of your destiny. It's hidden in Christ, Right? Is that what Colossians says? So let's go for it. Let's be who God's called us to be. But watch out for sin. Don't let it get you off track. Like that guy Cain. Right, the right, I said the right one. Oh man, you threw me off. I was really thinking about it too. He killed his brother, right? I mean, it's amazing to me how John just goes right for the jugular. He doesn't like. He doesn't name some easy sin. But why? And if you go, so I'm not going to read you this part, but he talks about Cain killing Abel. I want to read you from Genesis, what it says about this story. Genesis 4, Abel kept the flocks, Cain kept the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil, okay? And Abel also brought an offering, the fat portions. Hebrews 11 tells us that by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. Why? Because... Cain held back, and Abel didn't. It's a very simple, I think, way to understand that. Cain was, like, afraid. He was taking care of himself. He was relying on his own strength. He's like, I can't give the best of my food away. What if we don't, what if we run out? What if I don't make enough money? What if, what if, what if, what if? And Abel's like, I'll give it all to you, God. I mean, you're the one who gave me this. You'll give me more. Here, take it. Take the best. Take the best. Take extra. The way that God loved him, right, Remember the first verse, the great love of God that he lavished on us? He lavished back. We're called to take our lives and live lavishly towards God. Unhindered, holding nothing back. All right, let me give you one more. So then he, he, he slides into like the kind of major point of the whole book that he keeps coming back to. He starts talking about loving each other. And he says, this is how we know what love is. Verse 16, Jesus laid his life down for us. Holding nothing back. All in. Would you say Jesus was all in? And we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. Now, interestingly, this is not talking about the world. This is talking about us, the church. This is how we should live towards one another. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister, that's each other, in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And moreover, you can't just have pity Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So this is like full circle from verse the first verse we read. God has lavishly loved us. We are called to recklessly love each other. We're called to recklessly love each other, to love each other with no holds barred. All in. The opposite of Cain. Right? We're supposed to just give it all. Holding nothing back. I mean, this is a love that, if you think about love each other like like Jesus loved you when he died on the cross, it's a love that's giving. It's generous. It's an outward expression of love, not an inward one. It's a love that sacrifices. It's a love that lays things down for other people. Sacrifices your time, your convenience, my my time, my convenience, my money, what I want to do for other people. And it's a love that takes action. It's a love that doesn't just talk about it or think about it. Or, and you now prayer is an action, but I think prayer accompanied by action together is the most powerful way to live our lives. So let's take that action, let's step into it. It's the Lord. It's like, Christian, that last point was really good. Thank you for saying it. <laughs> I just feel like I want to go back to what I said at the beginning. I think God wants to launch some of us. I think for some of us, it's, it's calling. Maybe it's a ministry that you've been praying about. Maybe it's a step in your life. And he's just saying, trust me. Let's take this step together. Remember, my love for you and who you are in me is the launching point. For some of you, there might be something in your life, though, that's holding you back. It could be sin. It could be like a struggle I mean, I know, like, we don't live life just, like, always on a high. Like, there are hard things that we go through. I know this. So he may be coming alongside of you. I heard somebody define grace recently in a teaching about as grace is God's supernatural ability coming alongside of you and giving you the ability to do what you could not do without it. All right? So this is grace coming alongside of you, and you're looking at this mountain, you're looking at this obstacle, you're looking at this pain, this whatever, and he's saying, we can do this. It's a way of living your life where you're you're refusing to look at things just in the natural, but you're saying, let me also see in the spiritual. God, what are you saying to this obstacle in my life? What are you saying about this plan or this thing that I'm about to attempt? God, where are you right now? Where are you leading me? And he's coming alongside of you with the supernatural power to do, right? All things are possible, Right, with man, some things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So I wanna I wanna offer some prayer. So we're gonna I don't know, um we had like a hundred keyboardists. Are any of them in the room still? Nope. Good. Someone'll Becca, okay. Um, so I want I th- I think it'd be cool if we we had some prayer. If you wanna come forward, um the first one I would like to pray for is if you've never given your life to Jesus before, um, you may have been coming to church, you may have been raised in a Christian family, but if you feel like you've been holding back, you've never said, okay, my life's yours, whatever you want to do with my life, God, if you've never really given yourself over to Jesus like that, I want to invite you when um, we get a keyboardist, you have to wait till that happens, um, then you can come forward and we're going we're gonna to pray for people up here and you can come up and get prayer for that. Um, if you have a, an obstacle in your life, if you're honest about it, stop trying to overcome it on your own. Could I tell you something? From one brother to another, or a brother to a sister, you won't overcome it on your own. I'm not cursing you, I'm just speaking from experience. I, I believe God's created us to overcome together. So come up and join forces with someone else. Let someone use the Holy Spirit inside of them to pray you through that obstacle, to step into the battle with you. Oftentimes, we just can't do it. We can't even see it. We need others. If you, so, if you don't know Jesus yet, if you um, need freedom from something in your life, if you would like to receive greater passion, to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, like David said, give me an undivided heart. If you know your, heart, your heart's passion has been divided and you're like, this is, this is it. I want more of you, Jesus. I want to press in. I want to say yes to all that you have for me, God. I want to hold nothing back Then I want to encourage you to come up. Just give prayer for that. You may have done it five times in your life already. I don't care. God may be calling you to another moment of saying, surrendering to his will in your life. All right, I think that's it. Let's stand. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come and, for all of us, even if we don't come up for prayer, God, I pray that you would, that your spirit would begin to move through us more powerfully. God, when we read about the early church, it's clear that they lived their lives without a whole lot of uh, inhibitions for when you spoke. They really just went for it. They laid their lives down for each other in ways that, that we don't yet, God. They laid their lives down for the world. They listened to your voice and took radical, crazy risks for you. God, I pray that you begin to grow in us a greater passion for just saying yes to you, God. That we could live because you love us so greatly, God. That we could launch forward into our destiny, God. That we could become all that we're created to be. Holding nothing back, God. Lord, I pray that sin and fear would be broken in this room, in our hearts, in the name of Jesus. God, the things that hold us back from being who you've called us to be, break them down in Jesus' name. For some, maybe it's even laziness or, or, you know, creating space in their life. God, we're too busy, too crowded. God, let us do what we need to do to make space for your voice to come through, God. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray you would release the gifts of the Spirit in this room to a greater measure in the name of Jesus, that where we're called to step into our gifting, that you would release it today, God, in Jesus' name. More of you, God. More of you, less of us. We just cry out for more of your Spirit, more of your calling, that we would become more like you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you love us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.